0: Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com.
1: I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. One of the best ways to beat the summer heat is to take a dip in your local pool. From water games with friends to getting some exercise, pools offer us a chance to relax in the bountiful element known as water. Our city has a number of public pools that are open to the community and a bunch of them are about to open for the season. We also have natural bodies of water around Middle Tennessee that are also really cool and great. Today, we'll learn more about how to and how to have fun and be safe in the water. Speaking of those public pools, my next guest has been hard at work helping to get things ready. I'd like to introduce Antoine Majors, Special Programs Coordinator for Metro Parks to the show, Antoine. Thanks for being here and welcome to This Is Nashville.
2: Thank you, glad to be here with you guys.
1: Glad to have you with us. I know this is a really busy time of year for you. So tell me what's it like to prepare for the swimming season?
2: You know, it's a lot of work involved, uh, getting the summer pools cleaned out and getting them filled up, making sure all the maintenance is taken care of, uh, as well as getting staff put in place, getting everybody hired. So it's a lot of work and effort that goes into getting these pools ready.
1: Cleaning the pools must be one big task, huh? No doubt. (laughs) So when do the outdoor public pools open?
2: Well, right now we're slated to open on June the 5th.
1: June the 5th, okay. I understand that Wave County opens tomorrow, but Wave Country, pardon me, it opens tomorrow, but that's kind of its own thing, right? Correct. Tell, tell me a lot more about it. I haven't been, I've only been in, in Tennessee for almost two years, and I hear a lot about it, but tell me what makes it special?
2: Uh, the Wave Country has the attractions. You know, it's a huge facility, several pools, several features in the pool. Uh, And of course, the main attraction is the wave pool itself. Uh, When the wave's turned on, kids are out there in floats, uh, very family-oriented. They have shelters that can be rented, so you can picnic there. You can actually spend a whole day there. So, So it's safe to say that
1: that is one of the busiest pools of the summer. Absolutely. Okay, now... Some pools are about to open, yet we we have also have public pools that are open year-round, right? Like, what are they?
2: Uh, they're at our Metro Park Regional Centers. So, you know, we have Hadley Park Community Center, uh, Coleman, Hartman, East Park, um, Smith Springs Community Center, as well as Napier will be opening in the future year-round. Now, you are based at napier center
1: which i understand didn't have a pool for a while tell me about that
2: well the pool's been down uh for about five years It had some mechanical issues that had to be worked out uh so they've put a bunch of money into this project to actually rebirth the pool uh, it's one of the biggest pools uh, that we have in metro so olympic sized pool uh, so the community has been without one for about five years, and I'm just excited to be there. Uh, hopefully, spark a flame in some more young adults to uh, venture out into this lifeguarding world. What does the pool okay. look like now? Oh, the pool is awesome. The The pool looks great. Is it? Is I the, mean, it's a huge.
1: Is it the type it's of. a huge pool. Is it the type of place where, is it the type of renovation that you can see big time events taking place there?
2: I sure can. Uh, It's one of the biggest. uh, And, you know, the good thing about it is indoors. Mm. Mm -hmm. Now,
1: tell me this, what kind of programs do happen at Napier Community Center and some of the other year round public pools?
2: So Napier is not open to the public just yet. We're still working on staffing. Um, but at the other indoor pools, uh, all of them offer water aerobics uh, for various groups. We have Learn to Swim. Everybody offers a lifeguard academy. Uh, and each each pool kind of runs as its own entity as far as the programming is concerned. Uh-huh. So you'll have uh-huh. Multitude of things happening at each site.
1: Now, I understand that you've been at this for a while, right? Have. Yeah. How did you get your start?
2: I actually started uh, as a teenager. You know, I, I was just doing this in the summertime uh, in between school. And after graduation, I uh, figured out I could do this full time. And that's been history after that. hmm What do you enjoy most about this season? I enjoy the, the teaching aspect. Um, we're putting young kids to work, uh, you know, giving them some good jobs here. It's a fun job. But the Learn to Swim programs that we offer are awesome. Uh, we get a lot of our lifeguards through our Learn to Swim programs. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty cool watching the kids grow and turn into young adults. Uh, And some of them, you know, they go on to swim teams, uh, they go on to college with some of the trainings that we've provided for them. So it's it's outstanding.
1: All right, speaking about teaching people how to swim, we're gonna get to that in a second,
2: but first let's take a quick
1: break. When we come back, we'll talk about the one thing that is imperative in order to make the most out of any visit to the pool. It's knowing how to swim. Can you swim? Or are you looking to learn? Let us know by tweeting us at thisisnashville. We'll be right back. I'm Kaleole Kulona, and this is Nashville. When I was a kid, swimming at the neighborhood pool was an essential part of the summer. My friends and I would compete in all sorts of ways, from racing to diving contests. We even tested our lung capacity by seeing who could swim the most laps while holding their breath. I won, by the way. But you know, we wouldn't have had the opportunity to engage in those activities if we didn't know how to swim. Funny thing is, a lot of people don't. Just ask your friends. You may be surprised. Thankfully, there are people who teach swimming to folks of all ages. My next guests find joy in teaching others how they can make their way in the water. Ellen Crosby is the aquatics coordinator at the Centennial Sportsplex, and Soral Kemabong is a student at Vanderbilt, swim instructor, and lifeguard. Thanks to you both for being with us. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. So great. Thank you for having us. Great to have you both. Now, before the break, we we were talking about the scene in town, what's open year round. Centennial Sportsplex is a bit of an outlier. Ellen, what's the origin of the Sportsplex?
3: The Sportsplex was built uh, a little over 30 years ago when the Olympics came to Atlanta and they were doing the trials at the Sportsplex. Um, And It was built specifically to be a competitive facility.
1: Okay. So what else makes it different from the other city-owned pools?
3: It's revenue producing. So um, its purpose is to actually generate revenue through competitive swimming programs, as well as programs that are uh, for underserved groups in the community, Um, just trying to um, reach every... Uh, population in the community, basically.
1: What are those competitive swimming programs like?
3: Pretty intense. They're very Mm. impressive, actually. Yeah, they um, swim all year long and um, they travel around um, the country and they they swim at different levels. They swim, um, you know, compete against people in the state. Then they have regional competitions. They have um, national competitions. Um, some of them have been um, recently in the Olympics and done very well. Um, so it's it's impressive. And they have all ages, um, even the adult groups. Hmm. Um, they do not want to miss practice. <laughs> they start at five am and wow. there's something happening seven days a week. it It never stops.
1: So Nashville has produced aquatic Olympians, yes. <laughs> that is really cool. Thank you. yeah. Now, talk to me, you know, I, I understand there are also swim lessons at the sportsplex mm-hmm. well, right?
3: Yeah, same thing. It's a program that operates um, all year long. People can come and go at any time, um, and they are set up in levels where you learn a particular skill at level one, and then when you graduate that, you move up to level two and so on until you get through ten levels um, there's a, a bridge group that kind of prepares those kids then for a swim team, and then there's the swim team, and then like I said, there's the adult group after that. So they've mm. really captured just about every age.
1: Okay, so I'm curious about access. How could someone take a swim there? Can mm-hmm. you just walk in,
3: or um, you can swim. Uh, we we have public swimming, so people can come in um, and pay a day rate to swim laps. Um, they can buy memberships, um, to do that, which actually gives them access to the entire facility, not just the pool. Um, or they can sign up for one of these programs, one of these third party programs that's there all year.
1: Okay. Now, Saral, tell me, how did you get your start swimming?
4: Um, so funnily enough, I started, uh, in high school as well, um, through joining the swim team and you know through that the facility we actually practiced at um you know they were in need of lifeguards at the time so you know i was like i'm already on the swim team why not use that experience to sign up and become a lifeguard and ever since then that's how i've gotten my start and i've been a lifeguard ever since
1: now you learned how to swim with the swim team where did you learn how to
4: swim um i actually taught myself how to swim when i was about 11 or 12 years old it's a funny story actually because Uh, When I was about 10, I had an incident at the pool where I almost drowned. Wow. I was, yeah, I was in the water with another kid. You know, we were splashing around having fun. And, you know, we started venturing towards the deep end. But I didn't take notice of that, you know, because I had all thought it was the same depth and things of that nature. So we adventured ventured over there. And when I realized I couldn't stand, you know, that's when I started to panic. The lifeguard had to hop in and come get me with the rescue tube. And, you know, after that situation, I definitely did take a break from the water because that was quite traumatic. But I think about a year later, I was like, you know, I actually really enjoyed being in the water and like, there's nothing stopping me from, you know, teaching myself how to get back into that. So, you know, I actually started watching videos on YouTube and I go out to the pool at my apartment complex and I just practice in standing depth water. I just practice how to tread and eventually I got the hang of it. And, you know, that carried on and to me joining the swim team in high school and eventually being a lifeguard. What events did you swim for your high school team? I really swam all of them. But um, there is this time my sophomore and junior year where I was swimming 100 fly for a lot of the events because, you know, I was one of the few people on the team who actually knew how to swim that stroke. So um, 100 fly and also 100 backstroke as well. Yeah, those are my events, I'd say. How good was the squad? Uh, we, we actually, um, we really developed a team while I was there. I think like my junior and senior year, we went on to third in the County and the junior and senior year, we also made it to States as well and some events and the relay. So, we really developed a long way while I was there.
1: Hey, that's not bad for teaching yourself how to swim. Look, at the University of YouTube, if you want to learn anything, <laughs> just type in a prompt. Okay, so you know I understand that you want to incorporate swimming into your senior college project. Tell me why, yeah.
4: tell me why. So um, basically I'm a rising senior at Vanderbilt right now. And so we have uh, students in the College of Arts and Science, they have an immersion project where they have to do uh, Um, Some people do research, people do internships, and there's also community outreach as well. So I wanted to, you know, take advantage of that community outreach. So um, earlier this semester, I was just asking, you know, I was just thinking of ideas I could do. And I just started asking my friends, you know, if they could swim, things of that nature. And a lot of the responses I was getting back were, you know, they weren't, they didn't know how to swim or they weren't comfortable in the water. So that got me thinking, why not use my water safety instructor certification to give back to my, you know, college community and start teaching my peers how to swim, teach them a life-saving skill that could, you know, further open up um, other avenues like Antoine was talking about earlier. Now, when you asked them why they never learned how to swim, what did they tell you? You know, a lot of the responses um, really centered around, you know, just never having access to the pool or just never being down there because, you know, there's always been that stigma, especially in the black community about, you know, how dangerous the water is and, you know, about how a lot of us can't swim. So I feel like, you know, they just never really went down to their local pools because, um, you know, water sports or water activities were never really introduced to them. Mm. Now, many communities, especially African-American neighborhoods, have been without
1: pools due to the legacy of segregation. That's something we'll explore in more depth in a future episode. Now, Antoine Majors with Metro Parks is still with us. You know, when I heard the the statistic that 60 percent of African-American kids didn't know how to swim, I was really surprised because everyone I knew growing up was swimming. Like I said at the top of the segment, my neighborhood had a pool. Now, you know— Antoine, as you mentioned earlier, the Napier community was without a pool for several years. How did that affect the kids in that area?
2: A great deal. Uh, you know, I'm, we're, we, we've instituted a program there uh, that's a grant-funded program, and that's uh, the Lifeguard Academy I run. And it's a paid program uh, to pay kids $15 an hour to commit 10 hours a week for at least 10 weeks. Um The problem is you'd have to have some type of swimming background to participate. So a lot of the the people that were showing up, you know, have very limited swimming background. Uh, So I'm doing more learn to swim than actual lifeguard academy.
1: That's so interesting that there's a need for lifeguards. When I was young, a teenager, I wanted to be a lifeguard desperately, but those jobs were few and far between. And now you're saying that you're looking for lifeguards, but you don't have many young people who qualify.
2: Correct. Wow. You know, when I was a kid, um, we had a neighborhood pool as well. And in our community, a lot of us went to the pool, uh, but having access to learn to swim programs, uh, that was the problem. So a lot of us were just self-taught, like Cyril was saying, um, you know, I was a near drowning victim myself as a kid. Um, So definitely want to learn how to swim. So I, I was never in that situation again, but that has been my experience as far as having access to actual learn to swim programs in the community. If you're just tuning in, this is
1: Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil lake We're talking this hour about the joys of swimming and how you can learn with Ellen Crosby, Sorol Kamenbong, and Antoine Majors. Tweet us your comments at ThisIsNashville. Now, some folks would like to learn how to swim, but they have anxiety about going into the water. I think, obviously, we just heard two stories. Antoine and Soral both had near-drowning experiences when they were young, Ellen, how do you approach that when you're teaching someone how to swim?
3: Well, I think no matter what, the first pieces of learning how to swim are just staying calm. So there's plenty of ways to learn that. Um, But as an instructor, I try and start everything out um, with that as the goal. So whether that is um, becoming comfortable just getting horizontal in the water and then putting your feet back down on the bottom, Uh. Um, putting your face in the water, um, laying on your back, things like that where you can learn how to be horizontal especially. Um, It's funny, in four feet of water, you could have an adult finally lay on their belly in the water. And then when it's time for them to put their feet back down, they just don't think that bottom is going to be there. Mm. Um, they know it's four feet. They know they were just standing in it, but their brain is telling them that floor is not there. (laughs) Um, or just getting splashed, getting the water in their face, or if they're laying on their back, uh, it's just a vulnerable situation for people with the mental fear, you know? Um, and so for me, I try and kind of set aside any technique that we eventually want to get to, not worry so much about strokes or what it looks like, uh, and really focus on being relaxed and being calm while you're in there. There's really not much more you can do until you get that.
1: Yeah, that's the first and most important step. Mm -hmm. Now, some folks may watch the Olympics or the Olympic trials, world championships even, and they want to try their hand at the 100-meter breaststroke. (laughs) What do you recommend for beginners?
3: Hmm. I, I mean, I always tell people to go very slow. And again, that's a way to stay calm. Um, I think breaststroke is a nice thing for people to start with because you are looking forward the whole time Mm. and you do come up to breathe every single stroke. It's a really hard stroke to figure out how to do, but it's, Not always as hard on your body. So like butterfly tends to be easy to teach. It's just very hard to do. Mm -hmm. Breaststroke is hard to teach, but it's easier to do. Okay. Um, So it's a good start for people. I actually will even teach triathletes and people that are going to swim in open water. I'll have them practice some breaststroke as well so that if they ever need to see where they are, um, they can keep moving forward, but maybe stay calmer and see where they are. Um, get around the buoys and things like that. Um, so it is a great stroke to start with. It's a pretty technical stroke. But um, the great thing about it is if if you're just kind of going slow, you get to breathe every time and you get to look straight ahead the whole time.
1: All right. Now, if someone begins to panic, mm-hmm. what should they do? What, what should they be telling themselves?
3: So usually people are doing way more movement than they need to be. It doesn't take very much movement to tread water. It doesn't take any movement to lay on your back. Um, I really, really recommend that people learn how to get on their back so that they can just breathe. And they can lay there as long as they need to. And then if they gently kick their feet, where they might not even really be splashing much, it's enough to move your body until you get to the closest thing. Um, So really... If you start moving way too much when you're panicking, you're not helping yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, Slowing your movements down and either um, treading water by just gently pushing and pulling water um, or laying on your back and, and even just laying still on your back are ways to calm down.
1: Okay. Now, Sorol, what do you like to focus on when you're teaching people how to swim?
4: Um, A lot of the same things that Ellen focuses on as well, because the biggest step is getting people comfortable in the water before we can actually move on. So um, I remember my teaching experience, the first thing we do in every class, even with the little kids, even all the way up to the adults, is just get everybody in the water, get them to just bob up and down, you know, get their heads under, get their faces wet and just get comfortable and acclimated with the water because, you know, being comfortable is the biggest step.
1: As a lifeguard, what are you keeping an eye on when you're scanning the crowds at the
4: pool? Um, As a lifeguard, you always have to focus on, you know, who you think the strong swimmers are, who you, you know, um, you think somebody might You know, struggle a little bit. Those are the ones you tend to keep an eye on. Like over the years, you get better at this the more you do it. But yeah, that's definitely something you um, acclimate yourself with. And also as a swimmer, you know, I've experienced um, competitive swimming as well. So I can pretty much tell who's a strong swimmer who looks like they might struggle a little bit. You know, so those are the t- things I tend to look out for when I'm lifeguarding. And, you know, I might see a patron walk in. They might not look that strong of a swimmer, or somebody might walk onto the deeper side of the pool. They're just looking around, you know, acting kind of nervous. You know, I might blow my whistle, ask them to walk over to me. You know, we'll have a little conversation. I'll ask them if they're comfortable being in this depth and if they're not then you know I'll recommend that they stay in you know chest deep water or water where they can stand you know just things like that that you learn over the years. And the number one rule no running in the pool, right? Exactly,
1: exactly. Now Antoine you also taught swimming a lot. What do you like about it?
2: Well I like you know seeing the light bulb go off um all the tools and elements you're giving them to support themselves in the water. And every now and then, for the most part, you'll see the aha moment when they get it. Mm. And so Mm. that's instant gratification for an instructor when the work you're putting in, you see it pay off.
1: What's it like to see that (laughs) aha aha moment when someone, you're giving someone a skill that they can take around the globe?
2: Absolutely. A skill hopefully they can pass on. Uh, Hopefully a skill that they'll continue to practice and work on. Um, so for, you know, for most instructors, uh, that's, that's why we do this. that makes it all worth it. Ellen, I see you nodding
1: your
3: head. (laughs) It's very true. Yeah. I always, uh, give the speech. If you can swim in this water, you can swim in any water. Um, but hopefully, you know, with, with what they're doing, um, these two gentlemen, their, their programs will, teach a lot of first time swimmers, families that have never had swimmers before. Mm. And I'm hopeful that if they go on vacation or if they go out to Percy Priest Lake or somewhere like that, that someone in the family will know what to do if anything happens, or that maybe they could learn how to teach their younger siblings and just pass it on and hopefully not have so many families where there's only one swimmer.
1: Mm. Tell me, what can swimming do for people that maybe other forms of recreation can't?
3: Well, you're weightless in the water for one thing. So um, people love the effect of not pounding on their joints while mm. they're exercising. Um, so that's probably the first thing that comes to mind is is just getting people off of their joints. Um, the other thing would be holding your breath really does teach you to exercise at a lower heart rate. Um, and then having a lower heart rate during your daily life, is a very healthy thing. Um, so for me, those are my two favorite things about swimming really is, is being easier on the joints and having that lower heart rate.
1: And, and the weightlessness of it and the ease of moving in the water, I can mm-hmm. imagine that for people of different abilities, it has benefits for as well, right?
3: Most definitely. I've, uh, a long background with teaching people with special needs, Um, and some of those are, um, intellectual needs, but also a lot of physical needs. And some of those friends are very clumsy on land and it's, it's difficult for them to move well. And when you get in a pool, um, you can be clumsy. It doesn't really matter if you're clumsy. And some of them do need someone there with them still, um, but they Can stretch out if they've been in a wheelchair all day if they use a walker or crutches to walk um, they can be independent and finally not have to lean on that Um, we have lots of people that come into the sportsplex every day of the week that fit those categories people with prosthetic limbs um, people that are injured that are coming in on crutches with you know braces on their knees and things like that, it's just a, it's a, it's a really nice way for anyone who's having difficulty moving on land (laughs) to be Mm -hmm. able to stretch out and, and have the freedom once they get in the water.
1: Older folks as well. My mother's an avid swimmer. If she doesn't swim every day, she gets a little upset. Yes. (laughs) Now, Soral, you really wanted to get your fellow students swimming outside from practical reasons. Why did you want to share that skill?
4: Uh, Outside of practical reasons, um, I don't know. A lot like Antoine said, you know, um, just, you know, that gratification you get of seeing somebody, you know, learning something that could eventually go on to save their life or go on to open up new avenues for them in the future. You know, just things like that, knowing you're giving back to the community, knowing you're like leaving um, an impact on somebody that a positive one at that, you know, that's probably outside of the practical reason. That's another big reason why I like teaching swim lessons. Soral Kamabung is a student at Vanderbilt,
1: swim instructor and lifeguard. He was joined by Ellen Crosby, the aquatics coordinator at the Centennial Sportsplex. Thanks to you both for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Antoine Majors will stick with us through the break. When we come back, we'll jump from public pools to the outdoor swimming holes and learn what swimming in nature is all about. Do you swim in nature? What do you enjoy the most about it? Tweet us at ThisIsNashville. We'll be right back. Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. As the swimming season is about to get started, it's important to stay safe. The local pool has a lifeguard on duty, and they may be hiring. But out in nature, you're largely on your own. Right now, as we speak, Nashville Fire and the Office of Emergency Management are searching for a missing swimmer. Percy Priest Lake is a far cry from the neighborhood why it can be very dangerous out there if you don't know what you're doing. So what should we know about swimming in outdoor swimming holes? How can we be safe while swimming? My next guests are here to help. Laura Franklin is Interpretation and Recreation Manager with Tennessee State Parks. Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the show.
5: Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here.
1: Great to have you with us. Now, Antoine Majors with Metro Parks is still with us. Now, Laura, this is a developing situation and we really don't know much at all about the missing swimmer. But what are some of the things that people should be aware of when they are lake swimming?
5: Swimming in natural open water and natural water features um, has some extra challenges that you don't have when you're in a swimming pool. One thing is you can't, oftentimes you can't see the bottom of the water. And when we've had major rain events, uh, then the water can um, sort of hold things that we can't see, which are hidden features like trees or rocks or other things that could entrap you. Pollutants have been washed downstream, especially in rivers and in our lakes. So there are things that can be down there that can hold a swimmer underwater. There's also currents that can hold you down, especially if you're not familiar with that, hmm. and how to manage the um, the way water flows. And oftentimes we really underestimate the power of water, especially moving water. And um, one of the things is that if you are, if water is moving Three miles an hour, so like that's a like a leisurely pace. If you're walking a 20-minute mile, mm-hmm. it's the equivalent. If you're trying to swim across that, it's the equiv- equivalent of about 80 mile an hour winds. Wow! So, right. So we really underestimate that. And if you're walking in water above your knees, if it's moving more than about a mile an hour you have to have additional support to stand up so you can be swept away.
1: And These are a lot of things that people don't even consider or think about. Now, you mentioned low visibility and hazards in the water. How can someone identify that before they hop in to take a swim?
5: Well, one of the things that you can definitely do is wade in in shallow areas where you know the water would be shallow and then look for drop-offs and and then look for things that might be... um, just below the water surface that are maybe submerged, so tree limbs or other things that would be floating in the water. Um, You also, uh, one of the best things that you can do uh, for extra layers of security is wear a Coast Guard-approved life vest, Mm -hmm. uh, your personal flotation device. That way, um, even when you have something unexpected happen to you, you have that extra layer of buoyancy, and life jackets really do save lives.
1: What are some of the most Common mistakes that even the most experienced swimmers make when they're swimming in natural waters.
5: Oftentimes, um, weather can be a huge factor, um, and we we get out in the morning, and it's a beautiful, lovely day, and we think we're going to go out and you know go to the lake or to the river for a nice, leisurely, relaxing day, and sometimes we don't always tell people where we're going mm-hmm. and when we're going to come back, so people don't know if something goes wrong when to start looking for us, um, and sometimes we get complacent, and we think, well, I've done this hundreds of times. Nothing's ever happened before, but we never planned for something to go wrong, and um, so unexpected weather events, um, wind can really be a huge factor, especially on a place like Percy Breeze Lake, um, and can sweep you away, and then um, just um, medications. Sometimes there could be alcohol involved, um, other things that can affect you um, in your ability to make good choices.
1: Now, one of the pieces of advice you just gave us was to kind of wade out into the water very quickly. But I understand that sometimes the depth change of a lake can be pretty drastic. Talk, Talk to me about
5: that. Right. You can be walking along and it's very shallow and then it really drops off. Many of our lakes are reservoirs that have been, at one time they were a natural creek or river, and they have been dammed up to, for flood control and, water, and for water supply for us. And so those, um, what was normally or formerly a deep gorge or valley, which is a great place to hold a lot of water, can also be very um, sharp drop-offs. Uh-huh. So um, it's something that you really need to consider, and always wearing a life vest uh, can help you um make sure that you're being safe. And, you know, if we've got floats and swim noodles and things like that, those are great fun for, you know, leisurely activities, but having that life vest that's properly fitted and buckled up um, is always the best option for you.
1: Okay, now, Antoine, you know, pools are a bit more of a controlled environment, but we still have to be safe. You've been a lifeguard. What do lifeguards want people to keep in mind when they're swimming at their local pool?
2: Uh, for the most part, uh, you know, we're outside, uh, so keeping hydrated is normally one of the number one factors, uh, dehydration. Uh, standing in the sun too long, don't forget your sunscreen, and, of course, uh, the alcohol. Uh, you, you should not drink alcohol and be out in a setting like that. Mm. Mm-hmm. How much of a problem is that for folks? Generally, we don't have that issue. Uh, But still, you have to make it known that it's prohibited, you know. Mm -hmm. You don't want that at any of your sites.
1: Now, is there a lifeguarding story from your experience that really stands out to you?
2: Well, yeah. You know, when I was new to the lifeguarding world, you know, I I assumed a lot. Uh, So, you know, I learned not to uh, assume and trust anything. Uh, you you would think most people, especially with our, our adults, uh, you would assume they know how to swim. Uh, so I had a funny story. Uh, the first save I ever made, it was a I was 15, and it was a adult wanted to go off the diving board, so we negated the swim test, and he goes off the diving board and realizes he's in 10 feet of water, can't swim. Now I have to go in and get it. <laughs> wow, that was the first time I learned not to assume anything from anyone. Okay,
1: okay. So we got a tweet from this is Na- at this is Nashville from Mamesh, who writes, "Quote: I've tried finding adult lessons locally, but it's rather difficult. Seems like there are limited options, and have many have wait lists." Antoine, do you have any advice for Mamesh? Mahesh.
2: Uh, I would try every facility. Uh, You know, Napier facility will soon be offering swim lessons. And the plan is for my site is to employ a couple of instructors so we can service the community with learning to swim programs.
1: Okay. Laura, do you have any stories about people getting in over their heads at outdoor swimming
2: areas?
5: It happens more um, often than we would like. Um, Like I was mentioning before, sometimes we are on floats or we have swim noodles or other um, floating devices. And um, we don't always plan for an accident. also in... um, When people are on canoes and kayaks and that sort of things, they can flip and not expect. The law says you have to have a life jacket nearby if you're over 16. You must be wearing it if you're under 16. However, we never plan for that accident to happen, right? So we always want to model best practices, and I always think about it as a leader in the— in this field of outdoor recreation and parks and resource management that as adults if we do more than what's required of us then we always are doing the best job of us setting the good example and so that others will follow us and um, that way we don't have situations where we're going in and having to look for someone who's lost uh, and has gone under for whatever reason. So.
1: In a moment we're gonna hear from Major David Crane with the Swift water rescue team. We talked about safety while boating what do you want people to understand about that laura
5: really safety while boating is um in the last several years we have seen a huge swell of interest in boating especially in kayaking it's one of the number one growing sports in the United States. And the avail- availability of that equipment, which is fantastic um, to remove barriers to access. We have more um, equipment that's available more widely. However, we don't always have, when someone's purchasing that equipment in say a big box store, they don't always have the um, the person giving them the pr- the tips that they need to stay safe on the water. Mm-hmm. And so what my recommendation would be is to Not only when you buy that equipment, but find a place that you can uh, get expert advice on how to do that safely. In Tennessee State Parks, we offer lots of learning to kayak and intro to kayaking programs. And then the American Canoe Association, which we partner with, and the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency, all of us are working together to provide that training um, so that we can prevent fatalities along the water Mm -hmm. um, whenever you're getting in boats and water sports and all
1: of that. Now, Antoine, you told me a little bit about this earlier. Tell me a little bit more about the Metro Parks Lifeguard Academy.
2: Well, it's a program that we have at every indoor site. Um, So basically what it is, is we bring people in that are interested in getting jobs and we just train them. Uh, We try to build up their endurance to be able to sustain themselves throughout the lifeguard course itself. It's a free program that we offer, so there's no charge. And if you're able to pass the lifeguard class, uh, our hope is to employ you at some point.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where can people find out more?
2: Uh, They can go to Nashville.gov and check out any of the regional centers and look at their schedules or even just place a phone call and talk to the aquatic coordinators there because all of our times vary uh, that we actually service uh, the Lifeguard Academy.
1: Now, Laura, tell me this. What do you want people to know about the joys and the dangers of swimming in natural waters?
5: I grew up in a rural area of Tennessee, and my first experience swimming was in natural water features, actually in Clear Creek. Mm-hmm. And um, it is one of the most fantastic things to swim in those natural pools and at the basis of waterfalls we have so many of those in Tennessee state parks and across the state in general um, and it can be one of the most beautiful relaxing enjoyable things to do um, but there are things that you need to consider before you go and knowing the rules and regulations making sure that you're swimming in areas that are designated swim areas only and uh Making sure that you understand that if there are those hidden hazards that you can't see at the bottom, then testing that out. And going to the managing officer, whether it's with Tennessee State Parks, the Corps of Engineers, uh, national parks, whatever that is. Making sure that you know the rules and regulations and the hazards. We try to post those and share those before you get there.
1: That was Laura Franklin with the Tennessee State Parks. She was joined by Antoine Majors with Metro Parks. Thank you both for being with us today, and happy swimming season to both of you.
5: Thank you so much. And this is the wrap-up of National Safe Boating Week, so I really want everyone to know the hazards and the joys and get out there and be safe on the water.
1: All right. Thank you so much for that. It's Friday. You know what that means. Time for me to take a ride with a fellow Middle Tennessean. To keep up with the theme of water safety, I hitched a ride with Major David Crane, a 31-year veteran with Nashville's Emergency Support Unit. He's a part of the Swift Water Rescue Team. During our drive through Antioch, we retraced his rescue path in a, in the 2010 flood. Of course, there was no water for this tour, but I added some sound effects to help you visualize that harrowing afternoon back in 2010.
0: Very first call that I took was at a trailer park out in Antioch, off Antioch Pike. Incidentally, it doesn't exist anymore thanks to that flood event. We were called out to rescue a mother and two small children who were in their trailer, but the water was coming up and they had no way to get out. By the time we got there and got a boat in the water, the water had come up into the trailer park and into her trailer. Uh, By the time we got to them, I swam through the front door of her mobile home. Wow. Uh, She was standing in the kitchen. She had one, looked like to be about a three or four-year-old child standing on the countertop uh, out of the water and an infant in a car seat on top of the refrigerator because that was the only safe harbor they had inside their home. Mm. Uh, And we had two police officers that previously uh, had tried to walk out to her and uh, got trapped by high water. had debris that fouled the motor and props. And we were pushed up against a mobile home. We had to bail out of that boat and climb up on top of another mobile home. So now we're trapped. We became, the rescuers became uh, in need of rescue. Wow. The police officers were swept away. My partner at the time in nothing more than basically street clothes and a life jacket that was not rated for rescue work ran as hard as he could off of the trailer in an attempt to rescue the police officers. Last time I saw them, they were swept. Everybody was swept away. Fortunately, and by divine intervention, one of the police officers was able to self-rescue and climb up on a trailer on the other side of the the trailer park. Uh, One of the police officers drowned. And fortunately, my partner, due to his not giving up and divine intervention, was able to locate the officer, bring him to the surface, and get him over to the porch of another trailer, working for a minute, and brought him back. Wow. Uh, So within about 10 minutes of them being, everybody being swept away, I could finally see one officer, and he could see my partner with the other officer. So we were able to yell to each other and realize, you know what, we're, we're still alive. was that water coming up? Well, when our boat got caught, we were between two mobile homes. There's a tree between them that had caught a full-size dumpster that just happened to be floating by. And that's where we were pinned in all of that mess. Pretty shortly after I realized that they were okay, I had already called for help. The trailer that I was standing on floated away with me on top of it. And I was able to, uh, thankfully, it floated to within about six feet of another mobile home and I was able to run and jump to the roof of another trailer. Uh, before they got me, that trailer started floating away and they, they finally picked me off out of a tree. Wow. When I finally hit solid ground, you've heard the expression, you know, you, you, there's this, those events in your life that give you a soul marker. Mm-hmm. That one was definitely a soul marker. in an urban environment, you don't think that this street we're on right now would be underwater, but it was. During that one one call where we went in to initially collect three victims, before we were done, we pulled five people off of the roof of this building, Wow. That were workers of this landscaping company. And the last call we took, and I want you to look at this building. There was an office in the upstairs of this building, and this building was essentially flooded and mostly underwater. There was a victim trapped in the upstairs office with no exit and no way to get out. Uh, By boat, me and two others, were able to get we had to go over this fence, come you, into this you took yard a here. Boat. Yes. Over this <clears throat> fence. Yeah. The equipment shed on the landscaping company next door we were barely able to get the boat under the roof. We took our axes and punched through that roof, jumped over on the roof of this building. We had no idea the layout of this building and had no idea where our victim was. So we spread out and we started banging on the roof and listening and we finally heard a noise. And the three of us took our axes and halligans and punched a hole through the roof and through the ceiling and we looked down and our victim was looking up at us and he was in knee deep water on the second story of the building. I mean, that's... And we were able to get him out, throw a life jacket on him, walk back across this other roof, climb back down in our boat, and uh, and, and get back out to where we put in. And the trailer park used to be in this property to our left here that's now clear.
1: That, that's that gotta be 14 <clears throat> feet high looking at these. Mm-hmm. That's how, that's,
0: Wow. The trailer that I rode as it was floating away was on the upper end of the trailer park, the upper end of that property right there. I came back four days later after thing the water had gone back down and I found what was left of it in a tree on the other side of this ballpark. Man, completely, just completely shredded. I didn't tell my wife that story for about eight months. I understand why. Mm-hmm.
1: How'd she react when you told her?
0: Uh, I looked over across, and you know, she a time or two looked like she had stopped breathing while I was telling the story. Her jaw was on the. other you know, She it took her aback. You know, she I intentionally never really told a lot of the. You know, she doesn't know the details and of of what we do. Uh, just when I would get home, everything's great. Everything's good. Every, everybody made it home. We're all in good good shape and in one piece. And. um So past that, she was good. And incidentally, once we got everybody rescued and everybody was okay, as we were coming back from the landscape company for the last time, we looked over and our boat was stuck in the top of a tree, red lights still flashing. Once we got everybody to high ground, we went back and rescued the boat that had had, had, had fouled out on us earlier. That's right. right. What's going through your mind? being back here for the first time. So I'm just, back. I'm remembering that afternoon. It's it, kind of rough. Riding Shotgun is supported by Xander Insurance.
1: This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Steve Harouche. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhoe. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Listen back at This is Nashville or wherever you get your podcasts. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at this is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil e. Colonna. We'll see you on Monday, everybody.
3: And be good to each other.